Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. Morning, everyone. How are we all? Doing well? Feeling relaxed? Wow, it's really full over here, isn't it? How nice. You're welcome to grab your seat. Good to see you all. There was a little committee meeting happening down the front here as they worked out how to get the pulpit up onto stage. That was good fun. I enjoyed watching that. I was focused in worship, of course. Of course. Good to see you all. For those that don't know, uh, my name's Andy. I have the privilege of leading the Young Adults Ministry here at Nexus. And uh, my family and I, we've been here for a bit over three years now, which is kind of crazy. It's, it all feels like it's gone so quickly, but we love being a part of this church. And um, I'm really excited to be able to share the word with you this morning and, and uh, continue our series of Jesus Steps Towards. Uh, I want to particularly thank Pastor Nathan. The first message he gave me was a passage out of Revelation, which if you ever want to set someone up for success in their first preach in the morning, throw them Revelation, right? Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Um, But God had mercy on me. He locked us down. I got to do it to a camera anyway, so it was all good. But uh, this morning, as we continue our series of Jesus Steps Towards, we're going to be heading to a story I know you're all probably familiar with, and that's where Jesus cleanses the temple. So today, Uh, We're going to continue that. Pastor Nathan did Jesus Steps Towards the Skeptic. Pastor Cam last week did Jesus Steps Towards the Empty. And today we're going to share on Jesus Steps Towards the Corrupt. So if we did an altar call now and you just want to put your hand in the air if you're corrupt, that'd be great. We'll bring you forward for prayer. No, that word corrupt, when we hear that, it, it kind of has connotations, right? When we, when we think of corrupt, we think of maybe that businessman that is in a suit that doesn't really fit him properly and is a little bit shonky. Or we, we think of those people that are behind the scenes, pulling the strings, making everything happen. Or maybe we even think of governments that are wielding their power and, and doing what they want to get their own way. This morning, as we share around corrupt, I, I want to approach it with maybe a little bit of a different perspective with the word corrupt. When I say corrupt today, when I'm talking about Jesus stepping towards the corrupt, I'm talking more about those things that are maybe out of place or aren't performing the originally intended purpose. So uh, I'm sure many, I look around this room and I can tell many of you would remember Windows 95, right? Windows 95, the peak of computing, how good it was. Every now and then when you turned on the computer, a little screen, a black screen would pop up and it would say, Something, a, a file is missing or corrupt, please chuck something in the CD-ROM and reboot. And um, all the IT people in the room who studied for four years understand if you get called, what do you say? Turn it off and on again. It's a, it's a long course to learn how to turn something off and on again, but it's good. But they also know it's good. Hey, if you're in IT, I know you can do more than turning a computer off and on again. You're also very good at installing printers. Um, You're good at knowing how to make my Bluetooth mouse work, and I really appreciate that. But corruption is merely something missing or out of place. The other thing that corruption can speak to, and um, I need to apologize to my mum as I am about to tell this story, but corruption doesn't need to be a huge thing. Often when we think of corruption, we think it's this massive thing that changes everything, but corruption can also be something small. So growing up... um, And I absolutely should preface this story by saying my mum is a fantastic cook. I really appreciate how she cooked and um, 
every night we had the most unbelievable meals and there was this one particular meal we would have often called Chinese chow mein. So my, my grand made it and then my mum made it and I will never make it now because of this story. Um, but there was this basically it's minced meat, cabbage and soy sauce. Sounds delicious, right? And so we'd have this every now and then and basically what mum would do is she'd cook the minced meat, so she'd cook that in the pan and then she'd get the cabbage out and start chopping the cabbage, doing a Gordon Ramsay, it's raw! And then every now and then she'd go a little bit too close and this night she went too close to her thumb and lopped off the end of her thumbnail. Now my mum was now faced with a dilemma. Does she throw out all of this cabbage that she's prepared or does she shoulder on? and keep on cooking this dish. And anyone that's out there that's an expert in cabbage, you know if you were to describe the colour of cabbage, it's probably the colour of your thumbnail, right? So that thumbnail is gone and bless my mum, she said, it'll be okay, let's keep going. There's five of us eating dinner, only one person's going to get the thumbnail, so it's all good. So we sit down that night for dinner and we're all around the table. I'm so sorry, Beck. I know the story doesn't make you feel so well. I'm the young adults pastor. I can share this. Nathan can't, so I might as well go for it. Um, so we're sitting around the table, and there's, there's uh, the five in our family sitting there, and we're all looking at each other as we're eating, hoping to see that look on someone else's face of disgust as they bit through the cabbage and realize that piece of cabbage isn't chewy. It's worth mentioning I got the little surprise in the dinner, and as a teenage boy, didn't stop me. Kept hoofing through that Chinese chow mein and finished it. But I learned a very key thing that day. That thumbnail was only a very small thing in quite a big dish, but it ruined the whole dish. So as we work through this passage today, I want you to remember, corruption doesn't need to be a massive thing. Corruption can be that little thing that's crept in, that has maybe made its place in our heart, and what it does, it actually affects everything else that's going on in there as well. So uh, let's jump into the scripture today. And as we read it, I want to encourage you, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, because when we talk about words like corrupt and emptiness and skeptical and these kind of things, often we can shut down and think, this isn't for me. But I want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. And if you allow him, he will. And he wants to show you those things in your life that that maybe it's time to allow him to clear. So if you have your Bibles, we're heading to John 2, verses 13 to 22. And it says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, "Zeal zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you were going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Pretty incredible story, right? I was, I was kind of pumped when Pastor Nathan asked me to preach this one because when I thought about it 
from the get-go. I think of all the things that Jesus does, this is probably one of the things I can relate to the most because it feels like he just lost it for a moment and forgot that he was the son of God and just had this moment of anger where he just cracked the sads in the temples. That would be if we had an Aussie slang Bible. It would be Jesus cracks the sads in the temple. But, um, but when we look a bit deeper, we, we understand why Jesus actually responded the way that he did. You see, we need to understand that um, Passover was something that Jewish men were all... Uh, it was a custom to head to Jerusalem and to the temple and to, to worship God and be there for Passover. So Jesus doing this makes a lot of sense. And I imagine as he did that, he would have been walking through streets and all leading up to this and seeing the brokenness, the hurt, everything going on, seeing this earth that had been created and how far it had turned from God's original ways. And I imagine he would have been thinking, I get to go to my father's house. I get to head to the temple. I get to worship him. I get to praise him. I'm going to head in there and it'll just be me and him and we're having a moment. But instead he walks in and what he encounters is animals everywhere. Livestock, sheep, cows, doves. What a weird combination. But he walks in and, and quite often what we do when we read scriptures, we read it into our own situation, right? So we think, oh, imagine if I showed up to church and there were, there were cows and there were sheep and there were doves. It would seem very out of place. But this isn't out of place for them at this time. It's not a weird thing to see animals at the temple because this is still a time when you needed to sacrifice and to make a sacrifice to appease God, I guess. And so Jesus walking in and seeing these, he's not angry because there's animals. He's angry because of where they're placed and where they're positioned within the temple. You see, what, what's actually happened is these people travel from everywhere and have to bring their own animals to sacrifice and they have to bring the right type of currency to the temple. So if you're traveling from a, a really long distance, it's going to be difficult to bring a cow 100 kilometers and walk a cow. It's going to take a long time, right? How much more convenient would it be to just purchase a cow when we're there? In the same way with the currency, instead of having to go somewhere else to change my currency and then head to the temple, they thought, why don't we make it a bit easier for the worshippers so that they can just come here, tick off the two things they need to do, and they can head in and worship. So what started as a service to the people who are worshipping has ended up happening in the temple. And for some reason, Jesus has seen this and has gone, how dare you? How dare you do this in my father's house? So again... Back to Jesus stepping towards the corrupt, we might think, is it the way that they're running their business? Potentially. I think what it actually is, though, is where they have positioned their business. So where they're doing this is a place in the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. And essentially what this is, is it's uh, one of the outer courts that um, outsiders can come into who are seeking God, who are seeking to know the one true God. So for the Jewish worshippers, this is just a pass through for them. They're going through here, they pick up their cattle, they pick up their coins and they head and worship God. But for those who are seeking God, this is the space that they should be able to come and seek him. And Jesus isn't pumped about this, obviously, because Jesus is always about the outsider. So I guess the question we need to ask ourselves is in our pursuit for personal worship, are we blocking outsiders? In our pursuit, I guess, to be religious and to do the things we think we need to do to enter the temple or to enter God's presence, are we blocking the outsider? It's pretty confronting, right? And Jesus' response is, is kind of great because 
And this may, this may really break down someone's perception of who Jesus is, but he's not Indiana Jones. He doesn't carry a whip around. So he would have seen what's going on, went and positioned himself somewhere in the corner, looking at what's happening there, looking at what he had designed, what, what he wanted, to, what should be happening in this room. And then he looks at what actually is happening. He starts to fashion this whip. He starts braiding the cord so that he can drive the animals out. And what he's doing in that moment is he's clearing the way. He's clearing the way so that the people who were initially intended to come in there can do that. I think a question we can maybe ask ourselves, and it's a, this is probably an easier way to put it. The way we live our lives, do we live lives that invite people closer to Jesus? Or do we live lives that create barriers for those around us? It's a tough question because we almost, we want to do the right thing, right? We want to tick the boxes. We want, to, we want to do the things that we feel like God wants us to do. But if we're just doing that out of a transactional response, then we're actually blocking those others who want to encounter Jesus. We then move on to the next bit, and that's the Jewish leaders responding to Jesus. And they ask him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Again, let's, let's put ourselves in this situation. Let's, let's imagine, Beck, you've got your women's event coming up on the 4th of November. Is that right? Yeah, nailed it. Um, you've got the, on the 4th of November, you have all these things set up. You have the check-ins, the tables, everything's ready to go. Some random comes in and just starts turning over tables, starts wrecking everything that you've organized. Straight away, you're going to want to know who let them know they can do that. So it's, a, it's just a good check, and I have to do this for myself. When you read this, you're like, how are they responding in that way? But when you actually think about what they're doing, it's kind of fair. It's kind of fair they're wanting to know whose authority Jesus has to do this. But we learn something about, about the, the Jewish leaders when they ask this question. Before I get there, the, I guess the way we see this in our everyday life is I have two daughters, um, Coco, who's almost five, Sparrow, who's just turned three, and Sparrow has a real love of chocolate. She gets it from me. She would eat chocolate all day, every day, and recently, the worst thing that could have happened in our house happened. She found the chocolate stash. And we all know the most frightening noise for a parent in a house is no noise at all. When there is silence, something's going down. And when there's silence in our house, Ree and I, for a moment, kind of go, oh, this is nice. And then we look at each other in complete horror. Where is Sparrow? What's she doing? And she's usually either eating or painting. It's uh, one of the two. And so lately, she's found the chocolate stash in the top of our fridge. And she'll drag the, um, the, the dining chair across to the fridge. And yes, we refrigerate our chocolate because it's better to have chocolate that's hard, Right. You don't want it mushy and, yeah, can I get an amen? We'll do an altar call for types of chocolate. Refrigerated, not refrigerated. Um, but she will get this chocolate and then she'll take it and go for a walk and hide with it. Now, when I find her, firstly, I'm extremely proud of her because she loves chocolate. But she doesn't eat chocolate like a normal person. When we get chocolate, what do we do? You break off, if you're a polite person, you break off two, two pieces, right? If you're like me, you break off a row, if you're really feeling it, you break off two rows and then you do doubles. You work your way along it. Anyway, um, 
forgot where I was. Sparrow does it a completely different way. Sparrow sees that rectangle of chocolate and goes, this is dinner for one. And she eats that thing like it's a muesli bar. She has no regard for the cracks, for the separate squares, and she just gets into it. So when I find her, my response is never, what are you doing? I ask her the question, did mum say you could do this? Did mum say you could have that? Because it's a question of authority. We want to know who gave you permission to do this. And this is how the Jewish leaders are responding to Jesus. They're asking, whose authority did you have to come and do this? But then we learn something about the spiritual condition of the Jewish leaders at that time. They ask for a sign. They've minimized their faith down to a God that does a to and fro. A God that responds with a sign to show, you know, I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to to fit in around your systems. I'm allowed to change what you're doing because I'm God. And I want to encourage us this morning that this isn't a faith of transactions. Our faith is built on Jesus who died, was buried and rose again. Our eternal hope is in Jesus. He's not a show pony that just can show up every now and then to show us that we're on the right track. And so I guess this morning, it's easy for us to go down this track. It's easy to go down the track that the Pharisees and that the Jewish leaders went down because we find systems that seem to work. So then we have to justify them. So in this story, who would you equate yourself with? Do you think you're Jesus? Do you think your role is to come and tear down the system, tear down religion, tear down the man-made ways that we do and show a better way? Or maybe you, you see this and you, you read yourself into the story as the disciples. You're by Jesus' side. But in this story, there's actually... There's no real mention of them. Anything that is mentioned about the disciples is more how they think retrospectively about this moment. I imagine that maybe as they followed Jesus through these revolutionary things he did, this might have just been a step too far for them. Like it was all good to do it in the streets, but now you're doing it in the temple. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe I need to go hide in a corner. Or maybe we're the people in the courts. Maybe we started out with good intention. Maybe we started out with something that was a service to God, but, but maybe it's become misplaced. Maybe we've, we've lost our direction slightly. I would suggest, and the more I read Scripture, and the, as frustrating as it is, the more I realize that most likely we're like the Jewish leaders. That when things happen in our life, we ask God to say, well, why did you do that? You know, the Pharisees, we read them as if they're bad people, but they were just having a real red-hot crack at living a good life. But they missed the point. They missed the heart of what they were called to do. And they got so set in their ways and set in their religion that they couldn't even see Jesus when he was standing right in front of them. See, everything that John writes in his gospel is so that we would know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that we would believe in him that we would be saved. And so this story is in here so that we would know he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. So how how do you know if maybe you're living a bit like a Pharisee? Well, the questions that I know that I ask myself are, well, I'm, I'm in ministry. I'm working at a church. Why are my kids still getting sick? You know, I'm, I'm being generous. 
That person's living such a dodgy life. Why does it look like they keep getting a leg up? These are the questions that the Pharisees would ask. And these are the questions we often do. But what that does is it minimizes our faith down to a transactional response. And it can't be that. But there's good news. Jesus steps towards the corrupt. Jesus steps towards you. Jesus steps towards me. He steps towards each one of us. I'll invite the band to come up and join me. We then head to verse 19 and it says this. So after the, the authorities have asked him to show him a sign, they say this. But Jesus says this, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. I'm so thankful that Jesus never just points out what's wrong with things. He always provides the solution. What he's done here is he hasn't just said this whole system is wrong. He also lets them know, as I take down this religious system, I'm going to replace it. I'm going to replace it with myself. After three days, I will rise again. And no longer will the glory of God be contained in a temple. But it will be flowing throughout all the earth through all those who believe. In that moment, the temple became obsolete. We no longer had to go to a certain place to encounter the presence of God. And in John 15, it tells us, I will send you the helper from my Father. This is Jesus speaking. The helper is the spirit of truth who comes from the Father. At the start of the message, I, I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And let me remind you that corruption isn't this overarching, humongous thing. Quite often it's just that little thing that's crept in. Corruption can be that thing that has just taken a place where it shouldn't have. Or maybe that started with its, a good intent or a good purpose has just gone off track a bit. But the Holy Spirit is there for us. It wants to illuminate those things to us. It wants to show us those things and it wants to clear our temples. It wants to clear our hearts. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. David in Psalm 51 writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Can I encourage you to let that be your prayer daily? Pray to Him daily and just say, Lord, create in me a pure heart. Because it's so easy to just slightly go off track or it's so easy to let those little things creep in. But He wants to clear the way. He wants to cleanse your heart. You know, as churches, we're always trying to get better at this thing called discipleship. We're always talking about ways we can do discipleship better and we try to create systems for it. Jesus has given us and God has given us the most amazing form of discipleship and that is in the Holy Spirit. Walking with us day in, day out. Encouraging us to step forward. Encouraging us to cut off things that don't need to be there anymore. And putting us in a community of believers to encourage one another. But something happens because we do see God do miracles, right? God does do amazing things and he does come through. John doesn't record it, but Matthew records this extra bit uh, in the same story after the, the Jewish leaders have responded to Jesus. It says this in Matthew 21, 14 to 15. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. 
But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Let's not be indignant. Let's not block ourselves off from what the Holy Spirit is doing. If God's speaking to you about something, respond to it. Allow him to cleanse it. Allow him to cleanse your heart. Because look what happens. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Because he cleared that court of all its systems and all its services were there to help people worship, but because he cleared the way, the lame were able to come in and be healed. The blind were able to come in and be healed. When we take off those barriers, the barriers of religion, and those things we put up and those boxes we think we need to tick, when we get rid of those, we create space for the outsider. And that's why we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and respond to it. Because it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about everyone else who God wants to encounter. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to worship together again. I just want you to think back to what Jesus probably thought he was going to hear when he walked into the temple. Because the temple was a space where people could glorify and honour their heavenly Father and honour God. But instead he walked in and he heard a ruckus. So this morning I want to encourage you to worship him. Because of what he's done, he's made a way. Because of what he's done, he has cleansed the temple. He's cleared the way. For you and I, he's cleared our hearts. He has made us blameless. We have His righteousness. And for that reason, He is worthy to be glorified. He is worthy to be honoured. And all He he asks is that we do that, is that we live lives that worship Him. So why don't you jump to your feet? We're going to sing this song together. And I encourage you just to close your eyes and to sing it out and to know Even when you hear this, even if you know those things God's wanting to cleanse, allow Him to, allow Him to do that. But put your eyes on Him, because when your eyes are on Him, you make way for others as well. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.